This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. 14 Prime Ministers, that's how many the Queen's known during her 70-year reign, beginning with Sir Winston Churchill from 1952 until 1955. Now this week, as the Downing Street psychodrama unfolded, the Queen and her staff will have been keenly following events. After all, our monarchy is still politically woven into matters of state, happening just down the road in Whitehall and the Palace of Westminster. But before we look at the Queen's role in times of national political flux, how's the race to succeed Boris Johnson looking after his resignation on Thursday? His former First Secretary of State, Damien Green, speaking outside Parliament. It's easily possible for us to get through the parliamentary stages by the recess date of July the 21st and therefore we can have maybe five or six weeks of the last two going to the party in the country and so I think there's no reason why we shouldn't have a new Prime Minister fairly early in September. So could the Queen get dragged into the fallout from the Johnson Premiership and what was her working relationship like with our outgoing PM? To give us a glimpse into the inner workings of Buckingham Palace, we're joined by the Evening Standard's Royal Editor, Robert Jobson. Robert, could you give us an overview of the kind of week the Queen will have had? How does she keep informed of developments and who makes the decisions around her? The Queen obviously is very aware and has dealt with these situations before. I mean, this was obviously gearing up to be something a bit more difficult than the end it proved. But the fact is, she's been kept informed by... What effectively are the people known as her, the Golden Circle, that's the private secretary to the Queen, the Cabinet Secretary and the Prime Minister's Secretary, um, private secretary. And they would always have been discussing exactly the ramifications of what was going on politically, all in the build-up to the resignation of Boris Johnson. So there would be no surprises. Obviously, the key for the Queen is to be stay politically neutral, to be above politics, and therefore the important thing, even though the um, Fixed Term Act of 2011 has been repealed and therefore she could have been put in a position of of actually dissolving parliament and effectively the prime minister calling a general election that didn't happen because there was no need for it to happen the, the fact is there's a functioning government there's a functioning majority and there are alternatives in the conservative party to lead the party and therefore be the prime minister and be invited by the queen to and to form his or her government so that's how it would have um, panned out the key was keeping the queen above the political um, manoeuvrings and um, allow the politicians to sort it out um, before they come to her. Obviously, the Queen's not been very well recently. Will she have handed over any decision-making responsibilities to Charles or William? Well, William's a bit far down the totem pole, really. The Prince of Wales, I'm sure, 
um, be kept informed of what was going on via the Queen's private secretary, and he would have taken a keen interest, obviously, in what was going on. But no, essentially, it's between the monarch and the um, the prime minister. The prime minister would know that he has the authority, really, to advise her on what to do. And it's really her position to take that advice. If Parliament disagrees with that advice, it's for Parliament to raise the objections and to raise the situation. But no, no, it would really be between the monarch and the prime minister. The monarch knows more than anyone um, how these situations work. And she would have been not necessarily there to advise the prime minister, but she would have been a good voice and a good person to listen to and a good person to bounce things off for the prime minister. But I think he was making his own decisions. And before going to the Queen or even speaking to the Queen, he would have made his mind up of what he was doing. How would you sum up Johnson's working relationship with the Queen? And was there any bad blood over those claims he lied to get Parliament suspended for Brexit? I don't think so. I think the Prime Minister and the Queen have got a good working relationship. I mean, he's, you know, she's, she's seen them come and she's seen them go. So um, the good, the bad, the ugly. So I don't think that there was any particular problem with um, Boris. I mean, of course, she would have dealt with him through his tenure as London Mayor as well and come across him quite often, actually, as a result of that. So in terms of their relationship, it's quite a long one, really. Yeah, and I think also, you know, she did things such as during the pandemic and when she wasn't at Buckingham Palace and he was being pursued by the paparazzi a bit in the mornings out his morning run. She allowed him to use the grounds of Buckingham Palace, didn't she? And um, to sort of keep himself fit. And I think that um, most people think, despite what would have happened um, in other areas politically, that he did a pretty good job during the pandemic. And uh, obviously... That would have been loads would have been taken on that as well. So no, I don't. I think they had a pretty good working relationship, and both of them knew their positions very clearly. And in terms of the mechanics of it all, what will happen when Johnson leaves Downing Street for good? Is there some kind of sign-off from the Queen before welcoming the new PM? Yeah, he will do. He'll go to the Queen, and it's a bit like revolving doors. You know. He'll go to the Queen, he'll say his goodbyes. The Queen, probably a relatively short meeting by then, I would have thought, would thank him for his service. Um, then he would leave by one door, and, and then a minute or so later, the new contender would come in the next to the next door and, as they say, kiss hands and start to form the next government. And that's how it, it's as brutal as that, really. You know, despite, you know, I think that people think there's a lot of romance involved in this, but it's as, as simple as that. Politics can be rather brutal. Let's go to the ads. Please do stay there to hear more about the Queen's role in times of national uncertainty and whether there's appetite for constitutional reform under future kings Charles or William. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. 
Robert, as the Queen will soon be on her 15th Prime Minister, who do you think ranks among the best and worst PMs for their personal warmth and working relationships with the monarch? Well, I mean, it's difficult to say their relationships are fairly private, but I think um, it's no doubt that she got on very, very well with Howard Wilson, the Labour Prime Minister of the 60s and 70s as well. And uh, didn't particularly get on with Ted Heath, actually, that, that much. A relationship with Mrs Thatcher, although it's said to be fractious, was only difficult really over was difficult on a couple of occasions mainly over the commonwealth and also some of the policies that she was uh, she felt her majesty from what we understand were dividing britain of course it's the queen's role to make sure that britain as head of state is she's also head of the country and the head of the nation and wants to make sure there's a unity in the country but no harold wilson was one of the favorites without doubt of course everyone talks about church but when churchill was prime minister it was very early days in the queen's reign and she was still finding her feet so she probably relied on him in a more avuncular way and when she sort of found her feet i think that's when she was the most probably really you know knew exactly how everything operates and her and, and sort of grown into her role and and I think that's when there was a meeting of minds with, with Harold Wilson, who was a, a Oxbridge Don, after all, a very cerebral man. And um, they got on very well indeed and, and shared uh, many happy times, I think, um, in their, their meetings. I mean, I think that it's, it's fair to say that with the comings and goings of more recent prime ministers, it hasn't been as warm. I think she got on very well with... Gordon Brown, actually, as well. That was a, another person that she had a, a good working relationship with. What's the Queen's role in times of national flux like this? Well, I think we saw uh, unifying credentials um, during the Jubilee, the bringing the country together, no matter what political persuasion you are. There's a sense of national pride and unity which comes in celebrating the Queen's Jubilee because it's not just about celebrating monarchy, it's about celebrating countries, about celebrating the armed services and our place in, in society and, and in the world. So I think that she's a unifying figure. You know, we are coming to a period now, the holiday period, where things will slow down politically anyway. There'll be the summer recess. So I don't think it's going to have that much impact upon day-to-day -day society. The Queen is there, I think, when you have moments of, should we just say, wobbles, when it comes to political wobbles or wobbles in terms of the way that things are going, I think the Queen gives that sense of continuity and the monarchy itself gives that sense of continuity which is probably why the system has worked so well for britain just because the executive power lies with the prime minister is there any chance the queen could get dragged into the fallout from boris johnson's resignation or does she have to stay above the fray yeah she has to stay above it constitutionally because the, you know, really it's for the politicians to sort this out if there's any liaison that needs to be done it'd be done beside behind the scenes with the private secretaries of the cabinet and Prime Minister and Queen's Private Secretary. But I very much doubt there'd be an issue. I think that what will happen is it, it should be pretty straightforward. The, the two candidates will emerge and then the membership of the Conservative Party will then uh, decide which one they want. Once that's the case, it's clear that that person has the confidence of the House, I mean, the confidence of the majority um, as well of, the, of his party, which I'm sure that will be the case because they're rallying behind the new leader, then that person will be invited to go and see the Queen and uh, invited by the Queen to form her uh, an administration in, on, in, in, her, in her name. Finally, Robert, on constitutional reform, do you think there's any appetite to reduce further the monarch's political powers when Charles or William take the throne? Well, effectively, since... Um, very Queen Victoria, King George the Fifth, actually the the real power uh, has been taken from 
from the monarch, the prerogative powers are there, but they, the Queen can only really use them on the advice of the Prime Minister, so that, that avoids a constitutional crisis should the use of those prerogative powers be seen as an abuse. So I don't think that we'll see any much modernization to the Constitution. There may be some changes ceremonially. We've already seen that, really, with a slight dressing down um, at the state of, of, of Parliament, and I think that there could be you know, little changes like that. But we've seen that in Parliament itself, with the Speaker of the House no longer sitting there with a you know a, a long white wig on, and so and then have all the gowns on. So things have changed, both within and um, within Parliament and within the, the monarchy, the institution, monarchy itself. So I don't I don't see any need for any dramatic changes. I, I think I don't wouldn't think they would necessarily want them. There's more news in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Monday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.